Well, a few weeks ago, we began this new series called Timeless Truths. We are walking this path, this journey, this story in the book of Genesis. And uh, the, the history nerd in me, the history geek in me, um, has been loving this series as I've uh, dived into archaeology and geology and historical, you know, uh, historians. And, and um, I, I've said this several times that I have a, a great faith in God, but it is not a blind faith. Because God has placed his fingerprints all over the place, if you have the eyes to see and in this series, we're kind of bringing that, that, to ba, ba, that out in public. Uh, we talked to part one is that God created beauty out of darkness. In the beginning was God, and he spoke, and the first thing he said is, let there be light. And he got this beautiful thing, and the wow, and the wonder of, uh, of creation, and there's fingerprints of God everywhere. And then last week, we took a turn, kind of a difficult turn, about darkness destroying beauty. And that's when sin entered the human race and, and disobedience with God and, and all the consequences of sin that has been rolling out ever since and all of our lives have been splashed and, and tainted and, and poisoned by sin. All of our relationships are, are stained with, with sin. And that all came as when Satan deceived Adam and Eve and they disobeyed God. And all they knew was good. And that from that point on, they knew good and evil. So we unpacked all that. But in that dark chapter of chapter 3, the tipping point of all human history, there was a promise of a redeemer to, to come and rescue and, and save mankind. We walked through that. Today is called Judgment Day. Judgment Day. We're going to take a closer look at what is called the flood, Noah's flood. Now, in our culture today, you mentioned Noah's flood, and people just roll their eyes and like, man, you really believe that? That's, you know, that's a myth. That's a legendary made-up story, and that's a massive exaggeration. And it surely didn't happen. And if it happened, it happened on the local level, not, not global uh, you know, level. And, and I just want to say there's fingerprints of God's word being true if you have the eyes to see them. So we're going to unpack, it, is it true? Was it real? Is there evidence for that? So go ahead and turn to Genesis chapter 6 if you have a copy of God's Word, or if you have a Bible app on your phone, Genesis chapter 6. If you don't have a Bible, that's fine. I'll have um, what I read um, on the lower thirds below me. But before we dive into chapter 6, we've got to get us caught up with what happened from chapter 3. We left chapter 3, Adam and Eve were kicked out of the Garden of Eden, one of the consequences of sin. They were separated from that environment. And then they began their family. Shortly after they began their family, uh, they had some sons, and one son killed the, his brother. And that was the beginning of violence, beginning of wickedness and evil, and it grew. It exploded from that point on. And even chapter, chapter 4, there, there were some who were, were, were kind of glorifying the fact that they had killed people. But at the very end of chapter 4, for the first time, that's the first principle I shared in, in part 1, whenever you see something for the first time, there's a principle there. At the very end of chapter 4, it says this, at that time, people began to call on the name of the Lord. They began to call out for God, help, I need your help. God, 
protect me and my family. God, provide for me and my family. God, I need wisdom. They began to call on the name of the Lord. And people have been doing that ever since. And it seems like when life gets heaviest and it gets darker, there is a propensity in the heart of human beings to then call out to God. And the cool thing is, he is there to answer every time. Although he may seem absent, he is not. He is not. His presence is there. So that was the first time in Scripture. Then in chapter 5, we start kind of giving a list of uh, people and kids and sons and families. and, And you see the longevity of life. I'll give you three. It says that Adam lived to 930 years. See, we, we measure our age in decades. They measured their age in centuries. 930 years. Hard for us to understand that. Seth lived 912 years. The, the oldest man ever recorded, Methuselah, lived 969 years. My mind can't even grasp the fact that I'm looking at 60. All right, I just I can't grasp that. These people are living centuries. And in the middle of chapter 5, it's a cool passage, it says this, Enoch, this is guy, real guy, he says, says, Enoch lived a total of 365 years. Enoch walked faithfully with God, then he was no more because the Lord took him away. I'm going to pause there. Enoch walked faithfully with the Lord, the first recorded person who, yes, I, they had a, he had a relationship with God, but it was a relationship built on obedience. He followed faithfully. And God has been watching ever since mankind, you know, left the Garden of Eden, who is going to follow me faithfully? And faithful following always involves obedience. And then we get a little picture that, Ad, uh, that, that God took Enoch away. He took him from the curse of death, didn't experience death. He took him from uh, the coming judgment, didn't experience God's judgment, and he was taken away. This is a picture of what is called the rapture in the New Testament, that before the judgment of God comes again, that God is going to snatch up, or in the Latin, rapture out his followers. Enoch is a little picture of that. God is always dropping hints and laying pictures down. He's always doing that. But then let's begin in chapter 6. Mankind is incredibly wicked. Chapter 6, verse 5. The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth, and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. The Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth, And his heart was deeply troubled. Another translation says the heart of God was grieved. So the Lord said, I will wipe from the face of the earth the human race I have created. And with them the animals, birds, and creatures that move along the ground. For I regret that I have made them. But, there's this guy named Noah. But Noah found favor or grace in the eyes of the Lord. Now, the strongest statement of sin in Scripture is chapter 6, verse 5. He said that, the, that there was every, every inclination of the thoughts of the human race was evil all the time. 
See, the longer they lived, the, lo the more sin they committed. And it, it was just absolutely sin on steroids. And violence and immorality and profanity and impurity and hatred and, and there was no self-control. And it says that the Lord regretted. Why? Because his heart was grieved. And it was grieved because of what sin does and how it destroys lives, relationships, purity, children, futures. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Noah stood out that he followed after God. And God says, my favor is going to be found on that man right there. Pick up, uh, I'll, I'll paraphrase what God does next. He, he, he tells Noah, he says, Noah, you need to build an ark. I'm sure Noah went, a what? He says, I, I am going to judge mankind and all the evil and all the wickedness. And so I'm, you're going to build something because I'm, I'm going to flood the, the, the earth with, with floodwaters. What's a flood? He had no idea, no concept. And then God gave a detailed account, even in measurements, they called them cubics back then. We have foots now and yards and, and all that. But he gave a detailed description of how big and how wide and how tall this boat was going to be. Uh, there's an exhibit in, in Kentucky that took these measurements and builds called, called the, art, uh, the Ark Encounter in Kentucky. But the length of the Ark, and here's a, here's a picture of it in Kentucky, is about a football field and, about, and three quarters beyond that. It is that long. The width of uh, the Ark that God said for Noah to make was about the, kind of the width of a football field, 50 yards. It was about four and a half, close to five stories tall. And they've done the math that this, this ark could contain 40, uh, 450 semi-trailer containers inside um, this, this ark. And it, and it took 3.1 million board feet. Okay, three... 0.1 million board feet. I did, did, did research, found out it took approximately 14,000 trees to build this, this thing. And then God said, okay, now, now Noah, you need to basically seal it from the inside and from the outside, which you had to cut down more trees and burn trees to create this black tar-like substance that was lined in the inside and the outside of the ark. God gave all kinds of descriptions. And then he said, before you leave, got to get two of every kind of animal. Any, anyone that, that walks on the earth or flies. And you're thinking, how is that possible? Well, if God was going to do it, he's going to help. And you've got to understand that before the flood, there was no fear between mankind and animals. It was a here, kitty, kitty, kitty. And a lion would cut up to come up to you. Okay. After the flood, God said, now I'm going to instill fear between animals and mankind and mankind toward animals. But before the flood, they were like pets. And God, I believe, brought these animals to, to Noah. Let's pick up in chapter 7, verse 6. 
Noah was 600 years old when the flood waters came. Oh, by the way, uh, scholars estimate that it took Noah about 100 years to build this thing. All right, there were no table saws back then. All right, there was no uh, electric, you know, drill guns or a battery-operated drill, drill uh, screw guns. 100 years. So Noah was 600 years when the flood waters came on the earth. And Noah and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives entered the ark to escape the waters of the flood. Pairs of clean and unclean animals of birds and all creatures that move along the ground, male and female, came to Noah. See, that's how God, I think, led them. Came to him and entered the ark as God had commanded Noah. And after the seven days, the flood waters came on the earth. In the 600th year of Noah's life, on the 17th day of the second month, God's very detailed, on that day all the springs of the great deep burst forth, and the floodgates of the heavens opened, and rain fell on the earth 40 days and 40 nights. Uh, Jump over to verse 17. For 40 days the flood kept coming on the earth, and the waters increased. They lifted the ark high above the earth. The waters rose and greatly, increased greatly on the earth, and the ark floated on the surface of the water. They rose greatly on the earth, and all the high mountains under the entire heavens were covered. The waters rose and covered the mountains to a depth of about 15 cubits, about 64 feet. Every living thing that moved on land perished, birds, livestock, wild animals, all the creatures that swarm over the earth and all mankind. Everything on the dry land that had breath of life in its nostrils died. Every living thing on the face of the earth was wiped out. People and animals and the creatures that move along the ground, the birds that were wiped from the earth. Only Noah was left and those with him in the ark. The flood, the waters flooded the earth 150 days. Now, if you take a note, the timeless truth of this, this is more than just a story. There's a timeless truth principle that reveals the heart of God. Here it is. A holy and just God must bring judgment upon sin and wickedness. If God is going to be holy, and he is, if God is going to be just and right, and he is, with that much wickedness and evil and every thought that they had was wicked and evil, God must bring judgment upon sin and wickedness. There comes a point when God's patience is done. But what, don't miss this. However, God provides warnings and grace prior to his judgments. However, this is true, and this is tough to deal with and swallow, but however, this holy and just God, you see it in pattern all through Scripture, always provides warnings of coming judgments and grace, opportunities to be rescued from it, from his judgment. We see it all through Scripture, and we see it also here as well. Now, the Apostle Peter, um, the, the, the flood was so you know, significant in his life and mind that when God directed him to write uh, some, some letters 
Three times he brings up the flood. Three different times. First time, this is what he said. He's talking about back in the past. Those people, those who were disobedient long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. See, God was demonstrating his patience. He was done. This wickedness was so bad. Every family was touched by it and damaged. But God chose to wait patiently before he brought his judgment while the ark was being built. Peter explains a little bit more this later. The second time he brings it up, he says that he, God, did not spare the ancient world when he brought the flood on its ungodly people, but protected Noah, a builder of an ark, a construction man, no, a preacher of righteousness, and seven others. God protected Noah and seven others. But Noah is described not as a builder of, the, of an ark, but as a preacher of righteousness. So the time that it took, the many years that it took to build, while he is building, he is preaching righteousness. is to a wicked, ungodly, perverted culture that he lived in. And he was pointing out, that is wrong. That is against God. You need to go this way. You need to live right. You need to think right. You need to, you know, act according to God. That is righteousness. Stop doing that. I'm sure he said, judgment is coming. God has promised me. And they're looking at him like, what are you building? It's called an ark. What's an ark? Well, I'm building it because a judgment of God is coming. I'm sure they laughed at him, mocked him, made fun of him, you know, wrote to the media and said, this guy's crazy. But he's telling them, this is wicked, God is coming. You need to turn around. That's called repentance. You need to walk rightly the way God would want you to. But because their hearts were so evil and wicked, no one repented. And Noah and just his family was spared. See, God was being patient. But during his patience, he gave warnings, judgments coming. Gave grace, opportunity to repent. And they refused. You see, there's a second worldwide judgment that's coming. And Jesus talks about it. Jesus said this, as it was in the days of Noah, so will it be at the coming of the Son of Man. Yeah, people are going to get married and they're going to have weddings and people are going to die. And stuff. Yeah, that, that happens. But the wickedness on earth is going to be like in the days of Noah. When Jesus comes back, he came back, he came here the first time. God, God in a bod came to this earth. You know, it, 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 and we're going to celebrate uh, Christmas all the time, right? But the second time he's coming back, he's the king of kings, lord of lords, and he's ruler and judge. And last fall, the whole fall, we walked through the book of Revelation. And I kept saying, God is a patient God. God is a merciful God. God is a grace-giving God. But there's coming a day when God's patience is done. And we talked about all those things open up. And it was a tough thing to teach, tough, tough book to even to comprehend. The, the wrath of God being poured out on judgment of evil and wickedness. But God today is providing warnings providing grace. So Jesus said, when I come back, it's going to be like the days of Noah. 
And then the third time Peter brings it up. He's talking about people who are like, yeah, God's coming back. All right, when's Jesus going to come back? And they're laughing and scoffing. And Peter says this, they, those who are mocking that Jesus is never coming back, he says they deliberately forget that long ago by God's word, the heavens came into being and the earth was, and I highlighted this on purpose, I'm planting the seed. The earth was formed from out of water and by water. Plant that, I'll come back to that. And by these waters, also the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. Verse 7, by the same word, meaning the word of God, by the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved not for water, but by, for, for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. See, the, the flood story is just not a, you know, oh, that's, that happened, and, and oh, it, it, that was kind of crazy and weird and kind of hard to imagine. No, no, it's a picture of God, the nature of God. God is a holy, just God, and he must bring judgment on sin and wickedness. And the pattern he laid out in Genesis 6 through 9 is that before that judgment comes, there's warnings and grace given. And the next time, he's not going to destroy the earth with water. He promised that, but it's going to become with fire. So the holy and just God must do this. Now, I'm going to go back to the whole idea of Noah's flood and answer some questions, all right? We're talking about this because I believe there's fingerprints of this story everywhere. Even our culture laughs and mocks and they would call someone like me who believes this. And my philosophy is this, Jesus believed this. And Jesus, uh, Son of God, came and he, he, uh, he believed Noah and it all happened. And my philosophy is very simple. Anybody who, who predicts their death and resurrection and then it happens, I believe anything they say. I believe anything they say. All right. So here's the first question is this. Was the flood local or global? Was the flood local or global? And the answer, if you're taking notes, is this. It depends on your view of scriptural authority. It depends on your view of scriptural authority. If, if someone has no, this, this, this scripture carries no weight, no authority, then they probably believe that there was not a flood. It's all made up, kind of myth. Or, well, if something happened, it's local. But I have a high view of scripture authority. So I believe it was local. Why? Because Scripture in context, right, and all throughout, it is referring to something that happened globally. Other places all throughout Scripture, in text and in context, it is described as global. So that's why I believe that. So let me say this. Here's the second question. Well, is there evidence of a global flood? Is there evidence of a global flood? Uh, if you're a, kind of a skeptor, skeptic and a doubter, or maybe think this, I'm up, this guy's up here is kind of whacked out and kind of weird, um, I, I'm just going to give you some evidence. If you're a believer, I hope this helps increase your faith, that it's not a blind faith, that there are fingerprints of God um, everywhere. So I'm going to give you three evidences of a global flood. First of all, is all across the world, there's worldwide sedimentary level, layers 
uh, that's sedimentary is, is layers upon layers of rocks and formations of rocks, of sand, uh, sandstone, coal, shale, uh, limestone. And how sedimentary formations are formed is with great pressure and compression. By great pressure and compression is what we see. Now let me show you some all around the world there are these massive sedimentary um, formations and layers. Um, in China, I think this is a beautiful picture of all the different colors. Um, God says, like, let me show you something, all right? You know, all these different layers in China. In, in Utah, you, we see, you see the sedimentaries, and there's a ton of them in Utah. Uh, in Turkey, look at this, uh, from sandstone, uh, pressed together and compressed together. And then in, in Jordan, my wife and I have walked through this passageway to the ancient city of Petra, if you've seen Indiana Jones. They're, they're carved out a real city, carved out of limestone. And through here you see these rock formations pressed together and formed together. And then the classic one, especially here in the States, is the Grand Canyon. How many of you have ever visited the Grand Canyon? Make sure if you haven't, it's on your bucket list. I have rarely used the word awesome ever since seeing the Grand Canyon. Because <laughs> like, that is awesome. That cheeseburger is not awesome, okay? It's a good cheeseburger. But the story is told in our culture that this Grand Canyon, with all the sedimentary layers there and different cool red colors, took place over millions and millions and millions and millions of years. That the Colorado River, over 70 million years, slowly made its way and made this formation look the way it looks. Uh, my wife and I and our youngest daughter visited, went to, went to here, and then we got one of those Jeep tours by the, by the Grand Canyon. And that's what we heard, the story, millions and millions of years. Okay? Interesting. Do you know that in our backyard, we have what is called the Little Grand Canyon? Have you heard of it? Well, maybe you heard of Mount St. Helens. Anybody remember? Anybody remember May 1980? I'm in California coming home from church, and it was all over the news, and I just sat there for hours. Like, whoa. Had no idea I'd live up here and backpack by there. It was, it was pretty cool. On that day, the explosion was so intense that it took, you know, several thousand feet off of this, like, ice cream cone, beautiful, cute mountain, and all the stone and rock and ice and snow blew it so fast and hit uh, Spirit Lake and then flooded the Toodle River. Massive force. And the little Grand Canyon was formed within, geologists say, three to five hours. This was formed in three to five hours because of the pressure and the compression of all that rock and sand and ash and ice and water. And it ripped through there. And geologists were shocked at the speed of the sedimentary layers and the formation of it. So I hear... And I've read, and I've heard on tours, that during the ice age, 
it moved along slowly over millions and millions of years. Three to five hours. Three to five hours. And that was just like a God hiccuped. God burped. And there it was. Let me take you back to Genesis chapter 7. Let me take you back to Genesis chapter 7. It says, God said, and all the springs of the great deep burst forth, exploded underneath. And, okay, you got waters exploding from, uh, from underneath. And you have the floodgates of heaven opening and, and pouring down. Sometimes we think the flood just took place because of the raindrops keep falling on my head for 40 days and 40 nights. I don't see how that happened. That's not, that's not much water. Remember what the Bible is talking about in Genesis chapter 1? Peter brings it up. That this earth was formed by water, all right, and from water. Water is the main you know, substance of planet earth. And even today, there are rivers underground. You know, there's rivers in the oceans. And God used the explosion of underwater fountains and rivers to trigger a massive domino effect. Today, we still have, we still have underwater uh, earthquakes and volcanoes. This is a picture of one. Underwater is exploding. But if there is a massive bursting of river and waters, what happens to the tectonic plates? They move. They are thrown around. What happens when tectonic uh, uh, you know, you know, plates shift fast? Tidal waves. Tidal waves. All right? Tidal surges. They say they can go up to 100 miles per hour. That is incredible speed, incredible force. And I believe that's how the, all the sedimentary rock formations took place of the explosion of all this. And then on top of that, rain. And dirt was moved. Mountains were formed. Canyons were created. And we see all, all around the world sedimentary layers. Second evidence, I believe this global, is worldwide fossils of dead animals. How do fossils take place? This is geology 101. Fossils are formed when a living organism dies and quickly is buried in what? Sediment. Rocks. It doesn't take the ice age going slow, 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 forever, forever, forever for fossils. That's not how fossils are found. And a lot of these geologists say a lot of these fossils are kind of all in the same time frame. And I go, yeah, because there was a massive event at the same time all around the world. Fossils such as dinosaurs. How come they all died about the same time? I got an answer. And then there's seashells found 16,400 feet above sea level in the Himalayan mountains, people. How did seashells get 16,400 feet above seawater in the Himalayan mountains? Something happened fast and furious. <laughs> Could you imagine being hiking in the Himalayas like, oh my goodness. How'd the fish get here? In in the Grand Canyon, on the side of the walls, on top of the Grand Canyon. 
Even on our Jeep tour, someone asked, how come there's seashells, fossils up there? It's like, well, during the Ice Age, slow. I'm like, the Pacific Ocean's 400 miles west. Something happened fast and furious. Huh. I believe it's an example of God's fingerprints. See, God wants to be known. That's why we have God's word. And God wants his acts known, whether it's creation or even this. The third example or evidence of, I believe, a worldwide flood is all across the world there are flood accounts. Flood accounts. I went and did a deep dive into ancient historians. There was a, a Babylonian historian 300 years before Christ by the name of Barosus, all right? Barosus. This is what he wrote. He says, it is said that there is still some part of this ship in Armenia. Armenia is the mountainous range of the mountains of Ararat. Does that sound familiar? At the mountains, they, at that time they called Cordillians, uh, and that some people carry off pieces of bitumen, which they take away and use chiefly as amulets for the verging of mischiefs. So I'm going, I have no idea what those are. So I did my research for you and for me. These, back up please, uh, these bitumen that they went up into the mountains and found, and the ship's still there, it's wood covered in tar, black tar, black ceiling. And they took pieces of it, and these amulets are like good luck charms. They had a little piece, and they'd wear it around their neck for averting of bad things happening to them. That was 300 years before Jesus. Around 100 AD, Josephus, a Roman historian, he writes this. The Armenians call this place, they keep changing the name, um, Opatabarian. All right, forget it. That place. <laughs> and it's referred to as the place of descent where people went down. For the ark being saved in that place, its remains are shewed or showed, we would say showed, there by the inhabitants to this day. Now, trust me, a Roman historian is not going to make things up because if he's proved false, they die. They needed to be trustworthy. That's what he said. And cultures all over the globe have flood accounts found in Hawaii, Eskimos in Alaska, Aboriginals in Australia, in Babylon, in Greece, in Mexico, in South America, in Scandinavia, in Tanzania, in China, in Assyria. And 120 Native, Native American tribes have flood accounts that are incredibly similar. A lot of them say God was mad at evil and wickedness and he punished earth. I picked two just to show you. In Arizona, the Indians there... Uh, revere Spirit Mountain. And there's rock carvings long ago that they carved into the rocks. And they interpreted this. And I don't have it here. I'm just going to read it. Here's the in interpretations of the Indian rock carvings on Spirit Mountain. Here it is. Rain fell on the earth for 45 days. The rising waters wiped out all the people with the lone exception of an old man atop Spirit Mountain. 
Then a bird was sent out, and on its second flight it returned with grass in its beak to inform the man that the waters had receded. In 1878, you ever been to Coos Bay, Oregon? The Coos is an Indian tribe. There was a recorded exchange between some white settlers and mountaineers and some Indian leaders from the Coos tribe. They recorded this, wrote it down. Do you see that high mountain over there, said the, the old Indian to the mountaineer as they were riding across the Cascade Mountains. I do, was the reply. Do you see that grove to the right, the Indian said. Yes, said the white man. Well, the Indian said, this is a story told from family to family over generations. He said, a long time ago there was a flood, and all the country was overflowed. And there was an old man and his family on a boat or raft. And he had floated about, and the wind blew him to that mountain where he touched the bottom. He stayed there some time, and then sent a crow to hunt for lamb, but it, uh, land, but it came back without finding any. After some time, he sent the, sent the crow again, and this time it brought back a leaf from that grove. And the man, old man was glad, for he knew the water was going away. How do these stories all have some similarities all across the globe over centuries and centuries and centuries? Because I believe that God's fingerprints of what happened are everywhere. But a holy, just God is not holy or just if he doesn't judge evil and wickedness. But the pattern was here in Genesis 6 through 9 that before that judgment came, God was patient and God gave them warnings. And God gave them a chance to repent. And the next worldwide judgment is coming. And I don't know about you, but it seems like the world that I'm living in, the culture that I'm living in, is getting darker and more evil and wicked by the moment. And Jesus said, as it was in the day of Noah, that's going to be like when the Son of Man comes back to judge the earth. Thank you for joining us in this journey this week. The journey will continue, and I have more history to share, more archaeology to share. Would you pray with me, God? I pray that you would take this, your word, press it upon our heart. And for those who are struggling with the reliability of Scripture, would, I pray that they would at least have an open mind for the possibility that your fingerprints are everywhere if you have the eyes to see. And Lord, for those who are struggling today with trusting in you, God, I pray that they would place their faith in a promise-giving, promise-keeping God who loves us, who provides for us, who offers us grace and forgiveness. God, thank you for being that, but also, God, you are holy and just. And I pray we would see repentance like never before before you return. Help us in this study, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.